Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and this episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness, who we featured on episode 145. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and take a listen, especially if you're struggling to get and stay in shape as a busy leader. Well, it's beginning to feel like fall here in North Carolina. The weather is cool, the leaves are turning colors, and the pumpkin spice latte is flowing freely at the local Starbucks. And I hope you're having a great start to your fall season. I have another great show for you today. But before we get started, I just want to remind you to take a look at the leadership books on my website. I've written three leadership books, and I recommend you start with I Have the Watch first. It's filled with 22 short stories that will help you become a leader worth following. It's a quick read, and most people finish it in less than three hours. It's also available on Kindle and on Audible, so you can listen in the car or while working out. A Spanish version is also in the works. So check out all my books, either on Amazon or on my website, johnsrenny.com. I also wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. We're also closing in on the top 100 management shows in the U.S. I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening every day and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about caring as a leader. My guest is Philip Kane. Philip is the author of a new book called The Not-So-Subtle Art of Caring, Letters on Leadership. He is an experienced leadership practitioner like myself. He's going to talk to us today about the power of caring for your employees. Now, if you want to learn how to truly drive engagement and get results, you need to listen to this important conversation. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Philip Kane. Philip is an author and business leader. He has more than 30 years of experience leading people at some of the world's best-known corporations, like Goodyear, Pirelli, Rothschild, and Napa. He is the author of a new book called The Not-So-Subtle Art of Caring, Letters on Leadership. In this book, he shares how being a caring leader can unlock the power of people. And I am excited to have another leadership practitioner on the show to talk about the tools and methods he used to lead teams successfully throughout his career. So, Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm delighted to be here. I really appreciate you having me this evening. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story and to learn from you and your experiences. So I want to just get started. Um, tell us a little bit about your career. Like you, sounds like you had a like like me, you had a you had a career in, in corporate, uh, like I did. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And then when how did you end up in management and when did you realize that you were a leader? Well, I'm going to go back to the very beginning. And before you kind of roll your eyes and say, dude, this is only a 30 minute podcast. I promise I'll make it quick. But, <laughs> but this is actually the most important part because 
I ended up in business because my father, who I grew up working with, had a rule, which is you can work here, but you've got to go work someplace else first. My father was a truck dealer. My grandfather was a truck dealer before him. And so that's how I grew up was climbing around big trucks. And my father and my grandfather were probably what we would call servant leaders today. But back then there was no word for it like we have now. And so I grew up watching these two men lead other people. And so for me, that was the style of leadership that I believed was the style of leadership. And so when I went out into the world and saw a different style of leadership, that different style of leadership was to me not the norm. It was the the antithesis of leadership because I had grown up seeing a different way to lead people. But it didn't take me long to figure out that I was the outlier. Yeah. yeah. The standard operating procedure was to treat people poorly and to you know, lead by having your foot on the, the back of of their neck. But the short answer to your question was, is I ended up out in the world because my father said, Hey, you can stay here, but you got to go work someplace else first. And I did so well out in the world that I just never went back. I I love it. By the way, I have the same rule with my sons. I have a manufacturing business that I've uh, started six years ago. Both my sons have worked at my business. And I said the same thing. You got to go out in the world. You can work here, but you've got to go out in the world first. And so, so far, neither have come back yet. So we'll see. (laughs) It's a great rule. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you, um, now, how did you start in your career? When did you, you know, kind of move into the management level? And, uh, and then when, when were you thinking like, oh, shoot, like I'm a leader, I'm influencing people, this is an important job I have? Well, my very first job was selling things I had, with a little help from my father, uh, come around to thinking that at some point in my career, I was going to have to do that and would be easier to do it before I had a whole lot of of responsibilities in the way of family and that. And so I got that out of the way first and, and then went into a more corporate environment. And in, in the, in the corporate world, I was always sort of like Mikey in the life serial commercial. <laughs> remember that. I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not doing it. You do it. It was, yes. let's get Philip. And I'm more early on distinguished myself by finding a way to kind of resuscitate things. And I did that kind of by investing in them, whether they were businesses or people. And, and, and so I don't know if there was ever a day that I figured out as much that I was a leader, as much as that I figured out that I was good at turning things and people around. And, and I learned that I was able to do that more by investing in things than by cutting things or by hurting things. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I, that that resonates so much with me because that's what I feel like my mission was for most of my career, which was turning around struggling manufacturing operations by engaging blue collar employees. That's essentially what I did for 22 years in, in corporate, which was fixing plants and fixing people, as you say. I think that's uh, fantastic. So I guess that's why your your material resonates so much with me, because I think it sounds like you did a lot of the same thing. 
Um, you've got a book that we're going to talk about, and it's about caring. And that is a strange uh, topic for a leadership book. Not to me, but for many. So um, why did you write a book about caring? Why was that the subject that you wanted to talk about? For me, it was important, particularly at this age in, in my career and, and for those of your, your listeners and particularly those who can see me um, can tell right away that I am on the second part of my career, not the first part. And, and it was important in this part of my career to help people understand that that there is a better, kinder way to lead other human beings than what has been the largely acceptable way to lead human beings. And, and the way that, that I'm talking about has to do with helping people understand what they are capable of and what their human potential allows them to achieve, not by telling them what they're not capable of or or to tell them what they did wrong on on any particular day and to help people understand that through the ultimate commerce between two human beings which is love you can accomplish anything it's interesting you say that because it's 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 um one subject that is uh as i've been a practitioner in leadership and now a student of leadership um I don't see the word love mentioned very much. So it's not in my list of questions, but talk a little bit about that. Um, How does love make a difference as a leader? Well, if you think, and and I'll step back for a second, because we're we're sort of taught that the ultimate commerce between people on teams is trust, right? And trust is tremendously valuable. If, If you can get to the point where you have trust, you can accomplish a great deal. But but think about what you can accomplish if you can achieve love between yourself and the people that you're leading or among the people on your team. And love is not strong like love is love. But you're right. We're we're discouraged from talking about love. But if you think about the possibilities that exist for people who truly love one another, who would do anything for one another. Think about what possibilities exist in that business. And that's why I say you can do anything because people at that point would do anything for one another because they understand the importance of being there for one another, of making sure that they're safe, of making sure that the business achieves what it set out to do because they realize that when the business achieves that, that the lives of every single person in that organization will improve. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. I agree with you 100%. That's uh, really good that you say that. And it's good that you talk about it, because I think it's one that's under underappreciated. I know, you know, I spent my early career as, as a naval officer on a submarine. I would say there was a brotherhood on that boat, and it was love. And we watched out for each other. We protected each other. We had each other's back. And I think that just, for me, carried right into the civilian world and like, okay, that's just the way you do things. And um, But you don't hear it enough. I would say, you know, the company I run today is more like a family than it is a, a business. And we watch out for each other. We take care of each other. And um, and I think 
it's it's a, it's great to be able to be in a in a work environment like that because it's so rare these days, especially you working for big corporations like myself. I work for big corporations. Love wasn't talked about too much. <laughs> it was more about, uh, but EBITDA was talked about a lot. Oh, so, cool. but uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that's good. It's good to hear that. And um, you know, uh, you know, this is interesting to me because you talk about it in your book. You know, uh, there's these stereotypical, charismatic, old school micromanagers, right? This, these are the people that typically the boards will promote to top management position because they look good. They look like a leader. They're a caricature of a leader. They're they're charismatic. They're they're um, you know they're loud in meetings. They've always got a good point. And those are the guys that tend to get uh, moved into leadership positions. Uh, just, just these, cause it's, cause it's like the people we think should be leaders, but why do you say that you say that they're ill-equipped today to lead in today's complex, uh, businesses that we run? Why, you know, why are these people not really effective, but yet they're still the ones that, that management looks to when they're looking for promotions? Well, I, I think it's because the, or, or I know that the, the model from from both a hiring standpoint, from a promotion standpoint, from a board of director standpoint, hasn't changed in in a hundred years, right? So the the those who hire for these positions hire for charisma or what they believe to be charisma. They hire for a bias for action. They hire for a bias for control because these are the things that they've been taught to believe have a correlation to results. And, and so for, for people like us, you and I, um, who say, I, I know, or I believe that there is a tremendous correlation between the way that you treat people and results, they, they can't get there um, from here to there. Yeah. Um, in believing that that's true, um, they believe that if if results don't match performance, that punishment should follow, and and there's a clear line between that and results. Mm. They don't believe that if if results don't match performance, that should be followed by a a conversation that sounds like, "Hey, gang." That was pretty good, but it could have been even better if we did these things. And so next time, I want to make sure that these are the things that we pay attention to. That sounds soft or too soft. And so folks like us get shuffled out of the order because we don't seem like we're serious. We don't seem like we have the right level of attention to what's important. We don't sound like we have the right level of urgency. And so we get shuffled out of the order for someone who's willing to take their shoe off and bang it on the table or worse, throw it at someone when results don't meet objectives. Mm. And so that's kind of, I went around my arm to get to my elbow to answer your question. But I think that that's why we are still where we are because whether hiring managers, boards of directors or HR departments still believe that there is a high degree of correlation between people with high degree of bias for control, bias for action or perceived charisma and results even though it's been proven that it's not there. 
<laughs> yeah. In fact, all the leadership thinking uh, or writing and theories these days are pushing more towards the that servant leadership model as being more effective than anything else that they've rolled out in the past 50 years, which is interesting uh, because, like you say, it's, you know, sometimes perceived as soft or slow or quiet and not and it's it does it doesn't fit the the stereotypical mold of what they what we've been told a leader should look like but but again those are outdated out uh, models especially in a day when uh you know the world is complex the the things are evolving much much quicker we need to have employees actively involved in the organization the way you do that is you buy you treat them with respect and you 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 care about their opinions you listen to them and you engage them in 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 activities we need the collective minds of our teams if we're going to be effective in this, you know, this quick changing world that we're in. One person in a corner office can't have all the answers, doesn't have all the answers. And you're only going to be as effective as that person is. So I think you're right. Uh, it is the right way to go. But it is uh, it's interesting how we still default to the uh, the old tip, stereotypical approach to leaders uh, in, in organizations. I saw it in my career as well. Um, so what is, uh, you know, we talk about it, you talk in your book about a caring leader. What does a caring leader look like and what do caring leaders do differently than your standard leader? Well, we, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, kind of the reaction to yeah. poor results as, as one major difference in, in terms of, of how they, they behave. Uh, I, I think the most important difference between kind of the the archetypal leader and the caring leader is is who they prioritize and mm-hmm. what i would tell you is kind of the archetypal leader prioritizes themselves and the caring leader prioritizes others mm-hmm. and so i i think this would be true for you um it's true for me that that i wake up every day thinking about how can I make myself really, really small so that I can make others really, really big. And and I think it's more the case for kind of the self-centered archetypal leader. They wake up every day thinking, how can I make my own self really, really big? Mm-hmm. And for them to do that, they have to make other people really, really small. And I, I think that that's the most important distinction between kind of yesterday's leader and what I would think about in terms of tomorrow's leader. Yeah, I agree. That's absolutely true. And you say there's some some traits of a caring leader. So what are, what are some of the traits that you would see in, in, in someone who is going down that path? Well, I think besides that, that most important um, trait, I, I think that that you will see in, in caring leaders, people who are genuinely authentic people who are are honest and, and and we've been talking a lot about caring already but they have um, a a fundamental ability to to care for others mm-hmm. and then uh, another trait that i feel is tremendously important is they do things wholeheartedly mm-hmm. they they wake up every day and bring their whole heart to whatever it is they're doing early on in in my book uh, there's um, a a chapter called the rules 
and and I won't go through all of them, but but I but I'll describe the rules by telling you that the rules started out as things that I would tell my children at night as I I put them to sleep when I was lucky enough to do that. I traveled a lot for my work, still do, and and once in a while I was lucky enough to get to put my kids to sleep and. And so I would share these rules with them. And so the rules, if you look at them, they sound like things that you would tell a child. Mm. Um, the, the one on honesty, for example, um, is says, um, tell it like it happened. Um, because if you say, tell the truth to, to a three or four-year-old, they'll look at you like, what did you just say? Um, and so um, that one is called, tell it like it happened. And, and there's one called, love the one that you're looking at. And that's just a, it was easy for a small child to understand that and even for adult it's simple just love the one you're looking at and and so to 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 finish answering your question that's that's another thing that caring leaders do is they have a capacity to to love the one they're looking at and mm-hmm. without distinction and without cautioning and to stop and wonder whether they deserve it or not and and I think that that's the the most important characteristic of any caring leader is is that they love other people. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This podcast is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Now, don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to help take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. So if you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at jeremyclevengerfitness.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com, or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. You know, I'm I'm sure there's some people listening in. They're saying to themselves, well, this sounds great. Um, I'd love to be, you know, 100% care for my people. And we often talk, I often talk about in my books that leadership is about the people 
and the mission. It's not one or the other, right? So you, the, the, if you're all with people, you, you're you're gonna, and you don't get the results, you won't be there very long. But if you're all about the results and don't care about the people, you're not going to be there very long. So it's it's the and the thing; those two things combined. <clears throat> Tell us a little bit about just in your experience as you as you went into uh, roles and you were a caring manager. Did you get results? Absolutely. And and you're right, it is the end. And I even um, write in, in the book that it's about the ampersand or and I even talk about um, Coke Zero. It's the end. Yeah, uh, because it, it, it has to be about both because um, and I write in the book that um, I, I poke a little fun at, at Robert Greenleaf a little bit because um, Servant leadership kind of leaves the the results kind of um, to interpretation, right? Um, that Greenleaf and his crowd talk about, hey, just show up and be nice to people every day, and the results will follow. Um, but guess what? They don't. Mm. No more than believing that if you show up every day and beat the heck out of people every day, that the results will follow, because they don't either. Because the first time you turn your back on people, guess what? They stop. Because the results only come when you beat them. Now, um, what I ascribe to is a school of thought that says, focus on results, but treat people with kindness and dignity along the way. So you're exactly right. And But the important part about the results is people have to believe that their life will get better when those results are achieved. One of my heroes in life is Moses, and it's not necessarily a religious thing as much as it is a leadership thing, right? Because he had to pick up a whole giant nation of people who were relatively happy where they were. I mean, they could have probably done without that whole bondage part, but they had, <laughs> yes, you know, three squares a day and a roof yeah. over their head. Yeah. And he was like, hey, gang, um, we're going to pick up and leave and go someplace else. And they were like, oh, we're not too sure about that. Um, but the thing that he had to motivate them with was three words. Remember, milk and honey. The promise that their life was going to get better when they got where they were going. And that is our job as leaders is to paint a picture of a destination for the people that are willing to follow us that says, when we get where we are going, your life will get better. Mm. Not, hey gang, we're going to achieve 10% greater profits this year than last year. Guess what? People don't care about that. Yes. yes. But when we say, hey gang, yeah. We're going to achieve record earnings in the company next year. And when we do, you will achieve record earnings in your households. Mm. Now we're talking. Yeah. What's in it for me? When you can spell that out, like here's here's what we need to get done and here's what's in it for you. It's it's different than just here's what we need to do or, you know, uh, and, and, and so you connect the dots <clears throat> for them. So and I think you're right. Uh, I think you I think that's that's the right way to do it. Uh, and I think. And companies need to make sure that there's something in it for them too, because I think sometimes what I found in my corporate career is the longer I was with it, the the less they were willing to to give to the employees when things went really well, and that was a struggle with me. Which is the reason why I'm an entrepreneur now. I I left I left corporate to do my own thing because I just couldn't take I couldn't I didn't like the idea of treating people 
not treating people with respect when they deserved it. And I thought that was uh, some reason, that was part of the reason I left and, and I'm happy doing what I do. But uh, it's a really important thing what you just said, which is, you know, that vision, the promised land, we're, this is where we're headed and this is what you're going to get out of it. And, and being able to paint that vision so so strongly that they're willing to do, they're willing to follow you down that path, knowing that that's where, where we're headed. So I think that's a really good point. Um, you say there's a paradox, though, in uh, the not-so-subtle art of care, caring. What is that paradox? Well, it's the the paradox is is what I alluded to earlier, is that the the smaller we become as leaders the and the bigger that other people become the more that we will actually achieve and and therein lies the paradox of caring leadership because for for others and and the way that we're often taught as as we come up um even even by our own mothers and fathers, right? We're, we're, we're kind of taught that, um, Hey, Hey, Philip, you're the star. Hey, Hey, Philip, um, you're going to be such a fantastic leader someday. Hey, Philip, it's all about you. And, and so we're taught even as youngsters that it's all about us, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're not necessarily taught of the paradoxical truth that when it starts to become less about us, that, we make room for others to be great. My my other true hero in life who I've never met is John the Baptist. And um, he's a hero because he knew who he, he wasn't, right? Remember they asked him twice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he and he said, I am not. Yeah. And and I like to remind myself, I am not. And so that's the paradox of of, of caring is that the smaller we become. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. I love it. Yeah, I think that's and that's hard sometimes because I think at least I found in corporate is that there's a there's a level of self-promotion that's required to, you know, to keep the funding coming to your business, keep the, you know, keep keep things going well so that you get the the attention of upper management. And I was terrible at self-promotion because I always hear all I cared about was my team and the results we were achieving. But, and there were others and my peers that were really good about bragging about all the things that they did. And I was always like, I'm not doing anything. My team is doing it. And uh, you know, and, but, but what, what I found is that uh, we still, our plants always re received a lot of recognition but it was always like humbling because I was the one that had that would receive the award for the plant. But I'm like, I'm not doing it. You guys are doing it. And and it was always just a little bit, you know, it was always I always felt weird accepting, uh, you know, awards and recognition for my plant when I knew it wasn't me. It was the team, you know, the team behind me. So I was always quick to share that as much as I could with the with the team. So I, I love I love what you're talking about. It just really resonates with me. A lot. Um, in the book, you do a lot of storytelling. So um, tell us a little bit about the importance of storytelling and maybe how you use storytelling as a leader. Okay. Uh, my father was a storyteller. So storytelling kind of be, came somewhat naturally to me. And, and also, I, I, 
I learned it even further from a, a Nigerian priest that became a, a great friend of mine and my family. And he used stories to kind of bridge the gap between his native language and, and English. And, and, and certainly I would tell you that the, the, the greatest human ever also used stories. And, and I use stories in, in my work and business. I, I, the, and you probably read in the book, I started writing to everyone that worked for me mm. probably oh it was oh it was over 20 years ago when the teams I managed got too big to fit in a room and and I use stories because people can relate to them and they can see themselves in that and particularly when you can tie them back to something that matters to them and so that's why I use stories is just for that reason. I would pick something that I would see in the world in the week, something that they could relate to, and then I would tie it back to business. And I did it for just that reason, that it was something that they could collectively see and understand and and relate to. And so that's why I think storytelling matters. And what I would tell your audience is that anybody can be a storyteller because it's as simple as just finding something that people can collectively see themselves in or relate to, and then tying it back to a message that you want everyone to understand. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with it. I know I use stories quite a lot in terms of when we were setting a vision where we're trying to take, take the operation, we would use stories as a, as a way to illustrate we the the tactics we were going to use you know we we use for example we were going up against one of the largest uh, uh uh customer or sorry competitors in the industry and we said like we're the small guys so we're you know we talked about the revolutionary war and how we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to hide behind rocks and trees and we're going to have to and but we use that analogy or that story of the, you know the big guys versus the little guys and how we're going to win as a, instead of saying, you know, here are the five things we're going to do in our tactics to achieve our goal, we used a story to illustrate it. And I think it resonated more with people like, okay, and, and I and I would even, I wouldn't even have any slides or no, uh, words on my slides. I put up a picture of a battle, a, a, you know, a Revolutionary War battle. And I told the story through that. And I think it's just like, it's a it's how we connect as humans. We connect through stories for, through the generations why not use stories to help illustrate points? And so, yeah, absolutely. I think they resonate and I think they're really important. Um, you know, and my books are filled with stories. They're just, you know, lots of stories, lots of, you know, my experiences, because I think we learn better through stories. So absolutely. I love, I love hearing that. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this too. Um, in your book, you talk about grace. I've never seen the word grace in a leadership book. So uh, what is grace and how does that fit in with our roles as leaders? I, I love that it's there. Grace to and, and I think grace is a word that in, it, it, I agree with you is 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 not very often used, and and grace can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but to me, grace ultimately it means giving people room when when they need it for whatever they need it for, and. If, whether someone's hurting or whether someone just let you down or whether someone needs time for something, it's, it, it goes beyond empathy. It, it means 
backing up far enough away from that person to recognize that they need nothing more than room. And and for me, particularly as a male leader, I think that we often have a tendency to want to fix things, to rush in, Mm -hmm. to fix people or to fix things. And, And to me, grace is is the room and the pause that says, I don't need to fix you. I just need to give you space. Mm. And for me, that's what grace is all about. No, I love it. I love it. Cause it's something, I think you're right. We're too quick sometimes to act and fix things that are broken. And sometimes it, people just need a little time. Uh, I see this a lot in, in change. You know, when we are, you know, initiating a big change in the organization, you have some, that are like, okay, great. And then some that are are going to fight you. And then there's some that just take a while, you know, to, to process that. And then they get on board. But if you're too fast to say, you got to get on board, you know, you, you, and we, you know, you've got to give them the time to be able to process that because they're letting go of something that they're, that they're comfortable with. And they're going into something that's unknown and everybody deals with that differently. And I found that grace is a big, a big tool in change management to just give people some time uh, to be able to process what they're going through and the, and the challenges through that. So, yeah, I love that. I love that it's in the book and I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're wrapping up now. <clears throat> what are, what is, what is the message you'd like to leave uh, to any of the new leaders that are listening in on this uh, this episode and they're saying to themselves, wow, this is really interesting. You know, I, I, I can care and it can be a leader in care, you know? So what are some messages you want to leave to those leaders? I mentioned it once already, but the, and, and if, if you'll indulge me with two, I'll, I'll mention two, but the, the most important thing that, that I tell any leader that I have the opportunity to coach is, is step one or point one is it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And if you can just get your head around that, it, you will, you, you will be or can be a remarkable leader. And then point two is whatever you're doing, whether it's coming to work or doing something for your community or doing something with your family, bring your whole heart to it Mm. or just don't do it. But anything worth doing is worth bringing your whole heart to. But if you can remember that it's not about you and if you can bring your whole heart to it, you'll have solved for more than half of what's most important in life. Mm, powerful, powerful stuff. <clears throat> so um, this has been great, Philip. So how can people find out more about you and uh, find this new book of yours? Well, they can find my book, as they say, um, wherever great books are sold. And <laughs> um, they can they can find me on, on LinkedIn um, or um, they can follow me on Twitter at the Philip Kane. Okay, excellent. Uh, We'll put links in the show notes for those resources. And uh, the book is The Not-So-Subtle Art of Caring. And uh, it is not so subtle. It is important. And uh, Philip has helped us today understand how important uh, caring can be to not just the people, but the performance of the organization. So, Philip, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences and sharing this new book with us. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed the time with you and and thank you for 
having me tonight. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.